Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. I'm joined today by Dr. Barry Whitworth. He is a senior extension specialist with Oklahoma State University and Oklahoma Cooperative Extension. Barry is a licensed veterinarian based out of our Southeast Extension District of Oklahoma. He serves as a resource for all things animal health. I would say that, Barry. I don't yeah. know if you want that title, <laughs> but, uh, and now you're covering beef quality assurance too. You're kind of our, our, um, leader in beef quality assurance across the state. Is that right? That is correct. Should be a fun new thing yeah, to cover. It is fun and new. Yeah. Yeah. Had a good time yesterday. The women's oh, yeah. cow-calf boot camp. Yes. BQA training. Yes. Was, was that your first kind of official meeting? I've done training before, but that would be, yeah, the first yes. As the state coordinator. Yes. Okay, cool. So Barry and I, he was at boot camp a lot more than I have in the last in the last three months or in the last two months. Barry, have you been at three boot camps or four? I'm trying to think. I've been at. I did not go. I missed the advanced camp because I was in Nebraska at the state oh, coordinators yes. meeting with BQA. So I had to spend the week in Nebraska with that. So I missed advanced camp. I went to the the cow calf boot camp. That we had, one. and yeah, that's just, we have advanced camp, just the, not advanced camp, I guess how I'll refer to it, the first one then uh, April, and then okay. I been, went to the women's scout calf boot camp. Yeah, yeah, so I was at Ada in April, then mm -hmm. we did the advanced camp, which you can go to advanced cow calf boot camp after you've went to, like, mm -hmm. A regular one. Right. I don't know how to define all yeah. this. Uh -huh. And then, then there's we now have a kind of a women's cow calf boot camp, and I think that's kind of a special thing. I don't know if it's going mm -hmm. on forever, but we did that. Um, that ended yesterday. I skedaddled out early, very <laughs> like <laughs> a bad person after my presentation. <laughs> but um, so Barry and I have we've been across the state. It seems like the clap the last couple um, of months. Barry usually covers all kind of health related stuff, but we also have Rosalind Biggs. Dr. Biggs mm -hmm. covers that as well, but he also brings the calving simulator everywhere. Yes. Travel all over with that. It's yeah, a lot of fun with that too. Yeah. We used to have a name for her, but now we just call her the calving simulator. <laughs> but yeah, so you travel all over with that too. So lots of jobs. This morning, Barry and I are teaming up to bring our listeners some information on an upcoming change to the availability of over-the-counter antibiotics. And so I'm just going to get to the meat of the matter, Barry. Most producers may know by now, but for those that don't, all over-the-counter right. antibiotics will now only be available with a prescription from a licensed veterinarian. Is That's better, correct. Is that yep. a better way to say that, Barry? Yep. Or and okay. it'll start, yeah. June 11th is when it's going to go into effect. I will say you may continue to see antibiotics on the shelf because the FDA has told everyone they can sell out their inventory. So you may go in, you know, in a couple of weeks and you say, oh, there's still antibiotics here. That's because they're allowed to sell their inventory off. Once the inventory has gone, uh, you will have to have a prescription to get an antibiotic after that. Right. So there's been several things that have occurred in the last decade or couple decades, right, Barry, maybe three right. decades that have been leading up to this. So give us a little history on how this regulation came to be. Well, I think if we go back and, and you've seen my talk, but mm -hmm. I think when I look back on it, if everybody would go back to 1988, when Naxel came on the market in January, 
I remember Dr. Bubba Smith, Robert Smith, that a lot of people may know, came into class and told all of his students, we just got this brand new antibiotic. It's great. It's We've never had this particular class of antibiotic used in food animals, and we've got approved for cattle with respiratory disease. And he said, it is going to be the first antibiotic that's a prescription product that we have in veterinary medicine. And he made a prediction then. He said, I do not think you'll ever see another antibiotic for animals approved by the FDA that is not prescription. And I think since that day, we have not had an antibiotic approved since then for animals that was not prescription. Um, I may be wrong on that, but I think of all the ones we got, I know Micah Peel came on not too long after that. Uh, a couple of years later after Naxel, it was prescription. Um, we got New Floor and Batrol and Zactrin and yeah and all of those are all prescriptions so okay and i wasn't didn't know yeah. that like zactran i was part of some of the those original studies mm -hmm. but so those have all been prescription Prescri exactly draxin draxin mm -hmm. as well draxin, okay. any of those are all prescription products okay. and uh and he said that back in 1988 he said there's not going to be any more antibiotics over the counter that's what he said approved at that time mm -hmm. uh, you know the new ones that were going to come out so i think if people look at that there was a history there i think that was being driven by uh probably residue issues that we were having in the late 70s and early 80s that was gotten under control we were having a lot of drug residue problems and it was all gotten under control but i think that drove that at that point why we why they were making those new drugs prescription only i think following that and today Everything's being driven by the uh, human medicine side that we're seeing resistant infections in humans uh, in the United States and, and around the world. It's just not the United States. And um, there is this thought process that some and, – and there is evidence of this that if you use an antibiotic in animal, there is – evidence that that could lead to a resistant infection in humans it's very small percentage i would say tiny bit that this occurs but it there's evidence that it does occur and i think that's what's driving it now I'm trying to get uh resistant infections under control in human medicine um i you know if you go to the CDC website, you'll see that, you know, it's over 30,000 people a year die in the United States from resistant infections um, and and over a million uh, that get those infections. So so it is an issue and it's a worldwide issue. And that's what's driving everything we see with antibiotic use, et cetera. I mean, that that we're trying to get that under control. Uh, and, uh, and that's why we're where we are today with these antibiotics and in, in animal medicine. So what I'm hearing is it's, it's part of a larger problem. So we're, this is a very small part. We are, we are attacking it in our industry. We are addressing it, but yes. there's a, there's a whole other thing that's going right. on. And I'm sure in human medicine, they're, they're addressing some of this too, so that, you know, in the future we have the ability to treat some of these infections, exactly. continue to treat. Yeah. Them. We do not want to lose the, we're not going to lose the ability to get antibiotics, but you sure don't want to lose the effectiveness of those antibiotics when we treat our animals. So we all have to be careful how we use them. Right. Uh, it's going to be important that we all be careful and use them for the right reasons mm -hmm. and use them the way they're supposed to be used. 
Right. So, so you've mentioned a few products, um, what this kind of includes, but give us kind of an overview. So of what this new law includes, what sort of products? When we changed back in January 1st, 2017, that's when the veterinary feed directive went into effect. Okay. Yeah, I so remember that. that. Right. Yeah. So that took all the antibiotics that we use in feed and water. And you either made them a veterinary feed-directed drugs or became prescription drugs. If it's used in water, it was prescription. If it was used in feed, it was a veterinary feed-directed drug. So when we did that, that took about 96% of all antibiotics used in animal medicine off the market, over off the over-the-counter market. Before then, all those were available over-the-counter. That took all those off the market. So now we only have about 4% of the drugs remaining out there over the counter uh, antibiotics. There's only about 4%. So that's what this is going to take all that 4% and put it, you know, as prescription products. So we're talking about injectable products like any type of penicillin or tetracycline, oral products like sulfur boluses. Uh, there's also tetracycline boluses. Your intramammary, you know, mastitis treatment tubes that we use to treat, there will be some topical. There are a few ophthalmic eye ointments that were uh, antibiotics that were still over the counter. And so all of those products like that are going to be now they will become prescription products uh, on June 11th. So penicillin right. is what comes to mind. Right. I mean, and it and we see a lot of resistance there anyway. Yes, we do. Yeah. So guidance with some of those would be more helpful mm -hmm. probably anyway. So keeping this in mind, what do producers need to do? to obtain an antibiotic when we're the shelves are empty and and the date has gone past and say you're a producer that hasn't worked with a veterinarian very right. consistently in the past what what do right. we need to do you're going to definitely have to have a relationship with a veterinarian because that's where you're going to have to get your prescription for any of these products so when you, we talk about a proper relationship you're talking about a veterinary client patient relationship and i always explain to people that's not in anybody's opinion. That's governed by our Oklahoma State Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners. Uh, they set that. Now, the FDA has minimal specifications that they consider for that proper veterinary client-patient relationship. But I will be – they use Oklahoma's definition of what the board has defined as a proper relationship, which – indicates to me that ours is more stringent than the FDA okay. because if, if they're willing to use Oklahoma, it meets theirs or exceeds it. Uh, there are a few states that the FDA uses theirs, and that always tells me that the states doesn't meet it or exceed it. So I suspect ours exceeds what the FDA wants. But Oklahoma's basic definition of that is a veterinarian has to assume the medical judgment for that animal he's treating. So he, he's in charge as far as that goes, the, the medical judgment of that animal. He has to have enough information through either examining the animal or he has made frequent visits to the ranch or farm and has a good understanding of how those animals are taken care of, all the, you know, the operations, uh, uh, how at that operations they deal with their animals. He then has to keep very detailed records of what he's what he or she is doing because if for some reason some other veterinarian steps in to take over that case that veterinarian has got to be able to read those records and be able to continue the treatment 
And then lastly, vet the veterinary must be available for follow-up in case we have an adverse reaction or we're fail our, our treatment is failing, whatever may happen. That's kind of a condensed version of what the board expects when it comes to a relationship with that client and patient. Okay. So that veterinarian is assuming a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure I can say that veterinarians asked for this, right? I mean, no. they, <laughs> I do know. not, I, you know, I've done a few meetings and there's always veterinarians in the crowd and they would tell you they did not, they do not, they wish I think that this wasn't going on because they, they're not a part of it. We didn't want it. We had nothing to do with it. And they want everybody to know that. Producers don't think, don't think it's a power grab for the, right. for the veterinarian. I, right. Oh, from a record keeping standpoint. Oh yeah, my goodness. There's, yeah. There's going to be a lot of extra work there uh, for veterinarians as far as that goes. So patience, patience, yes, keep your patience. Exactly. And, and um, I would say, you know, if you don't have a veterinarian yet, you should probably be working on it. What I, people use this term, um, your lack of planning is not um, an emergency <laughs> on my part. Is that kind of how it says? So, yeah. So that's how your veterinarian may feel <laughs> if you're thinking like, oh my gosh, we have three days. It'll be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I try to emphasize, try to have a conversation with your veterinarian before June 11th. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go walking through the door on June 11th demanding things, you know, but if, it, and, and the reality is I don't think, the products we're taking off the market, I know a lot of people may use those. A lot of those pro pro products, as you indicated, have been used for many, many years and resistance has developed to those products. So I think about what I used when I got out of school in 1990 for like foot rot. Oh, well, yeah. I can promise you. I left practice in 2014 to go to work for extension. I can promise you I was not using the same product to treat foot rot in you know 2014 that I was in 1990 because the product I used in 1990, I, I had no, it didn't work for me anymore. So I had already switched to actually one of the prescription products that's available to treat foot rot because right. – I just never, I, I quit. I gave up on it. It mm -hmm. just wasn't working for me anymore. So I know resistance has developed to some of these antibiotics that we've used for, you know, probably since what, maybe even the fifties, some of those right. pen, like penicillin, some of those been around for a long time. So. So the things, the things that I'm thinking that producers struggle to a diagnose on their own, that's, I think where we're seeing like some of those uses. So. Right. Pink eye. You know, I'm, I'm put, nobody can see me put up these quotations, but pink <laughs> eye isn't always pink eye, exactly. you, know, we, it, you know, and so we don't always <clears> know. <throat> and sometimes we treat an animal that doesn't necessarily have an infection. Foot rot is an example. And we're going to see that this summer with right. you know, ponds, cows standing in ponds and stuff. What other sort of thing are you thinking, Barry? I'm, I'm thinking some of those general like issues producers right. have. Well, I always think pink eye because that's the yeah, best one eye. I ever think of because I don't know how many times people have come in to me and the cows I've been treating this cow and I won't use the name of the antibiotics for two weeks for pink eye. It's not getting any better. And the first thing I do is examine the eye. And so many times 
under the eyelid or under the third eyelid, I pull out a grass on or a seed head or something oh. like that, a sticker, pull it out. And the cow in a few days is already recovering. It had nothing to, you know, unless you get that foreign body out, it's not going to get any better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our foot rot, I, I, you know, I try to harp with people on foot rot. Foot rot doesn't occur on one side of the foot. It's usually on both, you know, look to between the toes, the claws there. Does it stink? Do you have irritation there? Then you have foot rot. If you don't, then you better look for something else for that lameness. And a lot of times they'll have a sole abscess or something like that that's causing the problem. Mm-hmm. And unless you get that cut out, cleaned up and everything, it's not going to get any better, no matter the number, how much antibiotic we give it. It's just not going to work. So, yeah. yeah, diagnosis needs to be done. You know, abscesses are another, to me, if you've got an abscess, the reality is, that needs to be lanced and flushed out and probably doesn't doesn't require an antibiotic to be honest probably needs topical treatment keep it clean keep it flushed right. out and it's going to heal just fine i mean i doubt very many of us who maybe get a splinter in our finger and don't get it out and then it forms a little pus pocket you know you pop that out clean it keep your mm-hmm. hands clean it heals or not we don't go to the doctor and get an antibiotic for that i, I just feel the same way in it. cattle i'm not saying you don't all the time but right needs to be diagnosed what's going on there and treated appropriately so those are great examples so some of this may seem bad but i i don't think i don't think it is so tell us some of the positive things that are going to come from this, Barry, we've already talked about, you know, a few of them, <laughs> right. but give us some, you know, things to think about as how this is going to make our industry better. Right. Well, I definitely think, as I think we had talked earlier, as you said, I definitely think we're going to have a lot more, we're going to have more conversations between the veterinarian and the client about his patient. And I think that's good. I think we all ought to be talking more with each other about how we're raising our animals, what we're doing. I think having a better familiar familiarity with each other's operations that way uh, will be good. I do think we're going to see judicious uses of antibiotics, which the FDA wants. We're going to use them when we need to, and we're not going to use them when we don't. And I think that's good. This is a problem in human medicine. It's a problem in our industry as well. We probably overuse antibiotics and we need to be careful because the reality is I don't think there's been a brand new, what we've referred to class of antibiotics since the 80s introduced into veterinary medicine. You know, pharmaceutical industries are not producing these. There's there's not big profits in antibiotics, so they're not that interested in them. And so we got to take care of what we got to make sure that it continues to work for us. So we need to be careful how we use those. And I think that'll be a good thing. Maybe prolong the use of the antibiotics that we have uh, for years to come. Yeah, I think it's just just one more way that we're taking care of our consumers, um, because that's ultimately Mm. why we are beef cattle producers we're producing beef, right? (laughs) We want to take care of our consumers. That's exactly right. Right. So I think, you know, we can get kind of in our own little silo about what we're doing mm-hmm. if we're a cow-calf producer or for a stalker producer. But I think more judicious use is, is probably, you know, encouraged across the board. 
you know, for all things. So before we, before we finish up, Barry, there are some things that it doesn't apply to, to, so anthelminics, so our warmers, we can still get that. What are some, a few other things that we can still get without? And a lot of your top, you know, I said topical antibiotics are going to go, but there's a lot of other topical products that don't fall into that category that we've got wound treatments and those types of things. They're not antibiotics, you know, iodine based things, those types of things are not going to be in this. You said the dewormers, fly sprays, all those types of things are not going to be a part of this. So those are still going to be available over, you know, over the counter, um, at least vaccines, the, vaccines, yeah, vaccines, vaccines are not uh, interesting. Not enough. Yeah. yeah. Vaccines also are not under the jurisdiction of the Food and Drug Administration. They're under the jurisdiction of the oh. United States Department of Agriculture. So it's two that's a different entity that takes care of vaccines. So yeah, okay. those will be available. Exactly. Okay. Very good. Thanks, Barry, yeah. so much. This is so interesting. I mean, I even learned something. I yeah. I've been teaching people for a few months, <laughs> but I even learned a few things. Well, um, but I appreciate the insight. I think listeners will appreciate, producers will appreciate just knowing it's here. It's good to hear it from another person. So listeners, if you have a livestock operation and don't already have a relationship with a vet, seek one out. And if you don't know where to find one, we'll have a few links um, in the show notes on, on where you can look for accredited veterinarians, um, a variety of links, right? Barry and I kind of <laughs> tried to get that together before we started, but just talk to your extension office. They can direct you to a local veterinarian to help you through this because they are a great resource. Anything else, Barry, before we wrap nope. it up? Those no, I've good? had a great time. Thanks yeah. for inviting me. Thanks, Barry. Well, well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>